Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 4K podcast. This week we're going to talk about the, what I call the don'ts of being a retirement plan provider. You know, stuff that you really shouldn't be doing. Um, kind of, I wouldn't call it a code of conduct, but you know, just my two cents about how to you know deal with um, other plan providers, deal with uh, a lot of uh, other stuff in the uh, you know dealing with clients and whatnot, and dealing with competition. But of course, first things first, um, last week we had that 401k National Virtual Conference, nice two days of events, uh, a lot of good presentations. We'll do that again in 2023. We're going to set a date soon. Um, it's available on YouTube now, so if you missed it or you were a part of it and you did miss part of it, uh, go to YouTube, look out for that 4K National Virtual Conference, and you should see it. You should see the, uh, you know, the... Um, video from last year's event as well as this year's event. Uh, of course, we will be back live, pal, uh, Friday, April the 8th in Phoenix, Arizona, sunny Phoenix, Arizona, hoping that the lockout will end very, very soon. Rumors are that it will. And then, of course, June 24th, Miami, Florida, uh, Lone Depot Park, and then October 14th, Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'll see how it goes with... Um, you know, other dates possibly, uh, you know, like I jokingly tell people every single time I plot an event, I book an event, uh, there's a, a new variant, so we'll see what happens. And of course, go to that 4 kcom for further information on how you can be part of all these events. 100 bucks gets you into the uh, Diamondback Stadium for our event. Larry should be booking the guest very, very soon. Uh, always fun with the guests. Um, Larry always brings a great guest. I have to say that uh, Spencer Haywood, uh, Las Vegas, was probably top five for me. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I don't even know how many we've done already. I think we've, we're probably almost close to 20 events. And I have to say they're all great guests. They all stand on their own. And I think Spencer Haywood was certainly a favorite of mine. Um, Everson Walls in Dallas was a great guest. Um, you know, Tony Oliva, Steve Garvey, Andre Dawson. Andre Dawson, you know, I did it like a, you know, top two or three, whatever, on Facebook. Andre Dawson's probably still my favorite. I think Spencer Haywood's probably like number two maybe now. I, I, I don't know. It's always interesting. And, and Tony Oliva was great. I, I had, in Minnesota, I had met Tony before. Uh, and then, of course, Tony, thankfully, finally got elected uh, to the Hall of Fame, which I'm very, very happy for Tony. He Last time he was up, he missed by a vote. And, you know, for me, um, you know, forget about Bonds and Clemens. I'm kind of disappointed that they weren't elected. But the fact that Tony Oliva is going in with Gil Hodges, it's a big deal for me. I'm a kid from Brooklyn. Gil Hodges is kind of like, uh, I always say Gil Hodges was Brooklyn's favorite adopted son. Gil Hodges, you know, I, I was, I think I was in my 30s when I found out that Gil Hodges wasn't from Brooklyn originally. He was actually from Indiana. Married a Brooklyn girl who is still alive today. Uh, uh, Joan Lombardi Hodges is like 95, 96. I think that she's Tom Verducci's uh, aunt. She is alive today. Hopefully she can make it to Cooperstown to see her husband finally get inducted. And, you know, Gil again, you know, we got an elementary school named after Gill. We got a bridge that connects um, Brooklyn and, and the Rockaways, Queens, named after Gill. Uh, you know, my 
third grade birthday party was at Gil Hodges Lane's. Uh, so, you know, it's a big deal for all of us that uh, Gil's in there. And, I, I, you know, I'm so happy that Tony is there as well. And that's my, uh, you know, uh, throw away a couple minutes about Baseball Hall of Fame, which has nothing to do with this week's topic at hand. But this is how we roll. Um, the don'ts of being a retirement plan provider. I, you know, I, I, I could care less sometimes, I think, what other people think of me, but I do care how I present myself. I mean, there, you, you, I think you have to present yourself professionally. There are always going to be those type of people who don't like you. Um, you know, I, I, I'm very frank, very, you know, honest. I, I, I tend to be very, very unfiltered. Um, it was interesting having a discussion a couple weeks ago in Las Vegas. Somebody, you know, said, uh, you know, uh, my self-deprecating humor probably has something to do with my childhood or whatever. It was a very, very good analysis. I really enjoyed that. But I'm not a big fan necessarily of what other people think of me because, again, I think it's important to um, present yourself in a certain way, uh, be responsible, and I think it's important to treat people the way you want to be treated. And, you know, I, I think most of the time it works. You know, I, I sometimes I, I think of Larry David and Kirby Enthusiasm and whatnot, and he's always like a negative view of people. Quite honestly, in this business, got a lot more, uh, got a lot more friends and people that I enjoy, you know, seeing, working with, getting referrals from, referring people work and whatnot than, you know, the handful of people that I just, I, I wouldn't call them enemies, but people that I, I certainly don't like. Um, and again, this is all about what you should be doing as a plan provider and, and you, certainly, most importantly, what you shouldn't be doing as a retirement plan provider. And number one on the list is uh, don't show a lack of respect for other plan providers and clients. And again, I try to treat people the way I want to be treated, and for the most time, it works out. Um, you know, again, I'd say over 12 years and 23 years in the business, you could probably count on one hand about the people that uh, I wouldn't call. I would put them on my enemies list. I don't think they're as enemies, but people are just I don't really particularly care for. Um, and that 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 situation's earned. Uh, you know, I, I talk repeatedly about this TPA out in the Northeast who, who tried to rip uh, a plan where I'm fiduciary of $80,000 uh, for work that they were already paid for. Uh, that's a problem. That's something that I didn't have any, you know, that, that's some, somebody on my list. Uh, you know, I feel like Chris Jericho when he was in the WWE had this gimmick where he's, he, he was complaining about somebody. And he says, you just made the list. So sometimes I feel like that. Um, but with the retirement plan business, your, your reputation means everything. And, you know, a lifetime of goodwill can be ruined in an instant. And if it's ruined in an instant, you could almost never get it back. Uh, you know, I, I know a, a financial advisor who had a TPA firm. Um, and still to this day, he, he gets issues and people bring up situations when he was a TPA and that that's that's what it is, you know. There's always that. Remember that old wife's tale that if you pee in the pool, if you're urinating in the pool, there's like a cloud that follows you. That that's not true. But in that sense, if you do something bad in the retirement plan business, and it could have been 20 years ago, people will still remember that. It will still follow you. 
you know, I'm, I'm sure I've done one or two things in this business that, uh, you know, people might talk about or whatnot, and usually it involved, you know, canceling uh, events at the last minute because, you know, my kids or something like that or, you know, travel issues and whatnot. But, you know, the fact is, is that excessive fees, poor service, and unprofessionalism can certainly doom your reputation. And, you know, while the retirement plan business is a national business, uh, your reputation will be known far and wide. Uh, you know, and, and my buddy Richard Larita always proved it. It's a relationship-driven business. And poor relationships will, help, you know, hurt you long term. And... Uh, one of the reasons I started my practice is, uh, you know, I, I got just sick of working at a law firm for a couple of years. You know, I felt that the, the, you know, I, I was more interested in the relationship building business with people that could be sources of referrals, and the law firm model was all about the billable hour. They didn't care about relationships. It was all about billing the hour. You had to feed the machine because the machine on a law firm model, and again, the mid-sized law firm is the worst-run business. Uh, a large-sized law firm is not. You know, um, Proskow Rose is not a poorly-run business. Proskow Rose has the clientele, uh, big-name clients. I still think the NBA is a client from way back when, when uh, David Stern was an associate at Proskauer and you know moved over to the NBA. Proskauer has clients. Uh, mid-sized law firms don't have the clients. They have mid-sized companies that really can't afford those bills. And when you have so much uh, overhead, you have, you know, I always joke about the four people in billing. Did you really need four people in billing? And, you know, I had to feed that. I had to feed that with the hours. And, of course, I will always say that famous story. When I was leaving Meyer Swazi, I talked to another law firm about joining up with them. And at the time, I was making a Buck fifty-five, hundred. I, I think it was one fifty-five or one fifty or something like that. Not to brag, because uh, in New York, uh, one fifty in those days wasn't so much money, and even today it's even worse. But anyway, law firm said to me, "Ari, yeah, you know, to pay you one fifty, you need four hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of business." Um, and I said to myself, if I had $450,000 worth of business, why would I need them? <laughs> you know, to this day, I don't, I don't think I have $450,000 worth of business. I, I have uh, far less, uh, even, well, I wouldn't say far less, but I, I listen, I, I wish I could have four fifty in, 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 in billable. But anyway, it just shows you the inefficiency. I needed them to take my four fifty of business and, and take it to one fifty to pay me. No, thanks. But, you know, I think it's important. Uh, to show respect for other people, I, I think that, uh, you know, it goes a long way. Um, you have to respect people, uh, even if you never do business with them. There's quite a few CPAs out there and advisors that I have know over the years, meet up with them, they come to my events, never draw me, never drew me a dime of worth of business, but who cares? Maybe one day they will. And I think that's important. Um, relationships mean everything. And, you know, I, I think there are too many people on LinkedIn. Drives me nuts. Uh, reach out to me, LinkedIn. Oh, uh, can we sit down and talk about, you know, what you do and what I do and, uh, you know, about your financial needs? And I'm like, geez, please. I mean, I know so many advisors over the years. Do you think I'm going to, you know, meet you and, and hire you? I mean, first of all, I handle my own money. And second, if I had enough money, I'm going to go with an advisor 
that I've known for like 10 years or 15 years is, you know, people that I respect, people that have supported me, whatever it is. And, and it's it, it, it just, I, I, to this day, I, I never understand it. It's, it's always to me a sign of somebody who's a newbie, somebody young, doesn't have a block of business and just too eager uh, and too pushy. And, and I don't know if that works. Next on my list, don't ask plan providers to do things that you would do yourself. And, um, You know, uh, recently, uh, you know, I, I work on a, a on a MEP, and one of the adopting employers incurred an excise tax for failure to meet the you know March fifteenth deadline for processing corrective distributions for, for a failed ADP test. And I think many of you know there's an excise tax. Uh, the advisor actually asked me whether the TPA should pay for the excise tax. And I said, absolutely not. The, the, I, I saw the documentation where the TPA said to the client, you know what, if you don't get this info by March 15th, there's going to be an excise tax, you know, and, and, and pleading a couple of times to the adopting employer to get this stuff done. And I, I told the advisor, absolutely not. The adopting employer is going to have to pay for that excise tax. I would not ask a TPA to pay for a mistake that wasn't their mistake. It's just because, you know, again, it always goes back to that situation. I always tell the situation where I was a 316 administrator and uh, I wasn't aware because the TP didn't know, did, did tell me they paid the advisor fee four times uh, for, they paid them for the, for the quarter, they paid them the year's fee. So they paid four times as much as they should have. So they paid 10 bips instead of, uh, they, they instead of uh, point two, uh, uh, two point five bips or whatever, twenty five bips versus a, you know whatever. What, I'm, I'm sorry, two point five bips versus ten bips. So anyway, uh, TPA made the error, and the advisor who switched firms and so his old firm got the the the, the ten bips or whatever it was, suggested that as three sixteen administrator I'm responsible for that error, and I should pay for it. I said number one, TPA made the error. TPA actually overpaid me. Uh, at one, it actually paid me the advisor's fee for one uh, quarter, and I returned the money. You know, I'm a plan fiduciary. I can't get paid more than I'm legally contracted to. And I said to the um, advisor, return the money. That's it. That's how we fix the error. And, of course, they didn't like the answer, so they went to the client, to the client to demand me to pay for it. And I said to the client, you know what? You can't legally pay uh, – you are breaching your fiduciary duty by paying somebody more than they're entitled to. If this isn't resolved, I'm just going to report them out of the Department of Labor. Needless to say, within a couple of days, the advisor uh, would return the fee. So again, I would not ask a plan provider to do something I wouldn't do myself. So if an adopting employer – Failed to uh, comply with the request of the TPA. I'm not going to ask the TPA for the pay for it. I don't care. Um, you know, I don't work for the TPA, but I have enough respect for what a TPA does. Having done, you know, working for a TPA for nine and a half years, I would never ask a TPA to do something I wouldn't do myself. It's just, it's, it's crass. It's, it's just, it's just not right. I think you know we have to have respect for other providers, and I would never in a million years let them uh, pay for it. I, I would have if they were going to offer, I was going to protest it. Um, this is my two cents. 
Next on my list, don't take advantage of the goodwill of other plant providers. You know, one of the pillars when I started my own law firm practice 12 years ago was, you know, how do I get clients? And one of the ways is to, you know, find those sources of referrals, which are going to be advisors. Advisors are always the most well, you know, hardest. I, I want, they're basically the, a big center of influence for a plant sponsor. Same thing with accountants, but I do better with advisors just because, you know, my articles, these podcasts, these help advisors get business. Uh, years ago, I said, you know what, let me write articles that an advisor could take to a plan sponsor and say, you know what, don't listen to me, listen to this independent risk attorney, he's saying the same things I am. And, and, and you know, these, these articles certainly help me, help me develop relationships with advisors. Um, again, I, I would probably say that, you know, uh, I try to build a lot of goodwill. And like I said before, I could count on one hand. Um, people have really taken advantage of it. Um, I, I, I can think of two advisors that really took advantage of my goodwill. Um, one was an advisor who said, oh, you know, we can do this service. You know, I know you do these plan reviews. Could you do this one for free? And and that was a mistake. I did it for free. Never heard from the advisor again up until a couple of years ago where he wanted me to do a speaking engagement for him. And I kind of blew him off. And, and the second one was most recent. Um, I just wrote a blog piece about it where um, – uh, it actually happened a, a year or two, well over a year and a half ago, where advisor brought me to a client, uh, and they just, you know, the client proceeded to waste my time, uh, and that happens. Uh, but what really drove me nuts is the the flippancy of the advisor. Um, there are a lot of times where you know uh, my my time is wasted by the advisor's client, and the advisor will just merely apologize, say, you know what, I'm sorry that they wasted your time. And uh, I, I recently came up with that idea. Recently, I recently thought about that situation, and I never, I tend to never confront people about it. Maybe it's you know just trying to be passive aggressive. Maybe it's just you know I, I'm, I'm concerned about ruining relationships. But recently, that idea, that situation came up in my head when I was dealing with a, a client and a TPA, and the client's advisor wanted to haggle with the TPA, and this was a situation where. There was no room for haggling. That TPA I knew doesn't haggle. Uh, they charge a good fee because they do great work. So you pay a little bit extra, and I, I wouldn't have it. And I thought of that situation. So with this advisor on this plan where the client wasted my time, I actually replied to him for the first time, you know, and I said, you know, you're not responsible for your client's behavior, but you are responsible for your own behavior. And he's like, oh, what do you mean? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not responsible. Uh, I don't have to pay. You know, uh, if you have an issue, they hired another attorney, uh, talk to them about the fee, and I, and I respond to them. It's not about that. Again, you are responsible for your own behavior. You're not responsible for your client's behavior. A little empathy would have meant, you know, Ari, I'm sorry they wasted your time. And I would have been happy with that. And I think what drove me nuts about the guy was the guy was – the guy was a narcissist, this advisor, and there was at one point where, again, I sent the client retaining a letter, and, I, you know, one thing you know about me is my phone is a cell phone. My, so sometimes he'll call me, and I'll, I'll be in, like, in Costco, 
because Costco's like three minutes away. And one time I was at Costco, so it was like the summer, and he's like telling me how little I charge a client. I, 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 I don't mind when I solicit advice or when people that I respect you know, tell me something, whatever. But I, I had to sit on the phone for like 10 minutes for him to berate me that I didn't charge a client enough. And of course, the client didn't even hire me. So I think I was annoyed by that. So again, I, t I told the guy, I said, you know what? The least he could have done was apologize for this waste of time. And, and I would have been happy. Didn't hear back from him. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, like I said, there's, there's two advisors on my list, uh, again, in 12 years that I just, if they called me today, I would not help them. A lot of people, you help, you don't hear from them. And then five years later, they have something for you, where they want to refer your matter. And they remember that you did nicely for them. So, you know, I, I don't, when I, when I look at other people in the business, there are a lot of helpful people, TPA, uh, you know, pro providing plan design proposals, um, mutual fund companies, the DCIO reps, you know, Bill Shorey's number one guy in my book, national DCIO for, uh, for Invesco. And, you know, there are a lot of other great DCIO reps uh, in the area that, you know, New York area, it, places around the country. I, I certainly run into them at, at my events because they certainly help me out. Um, always supportive. So, uh, you know, I, I think of that. But, you know, I, I think it's important not to take advantage of people, uh, not to take advantage of their goodwill. Uh, I see that a lot with TPAs. You know, I, I feel bad when I ask the TPA for proposal and then you know you get ghosted by the client which I, you know that's a 20 20s term um so you know i i think it's important not to pretend you want to have a relationship with people and just use them um you know back in the old days <laughs> dcio budgets were a lot more <laughs> so they would take people to you know ball games and stuff like that and it'd be nice gifts and I remember years ago, again, I worked for a producing TPA, and uh, one of the reps, DCIO reps for one of the, you know, mutual fund companies said to one of my fiduciary reps for this producing TPA, is there anything you want, anything I could help you with? And the, the fiduciary rep actually asked for a set of golf clubs. Thankfully, they didn't get it. Uh, and, of course, today, um, budgets are... Tight. Thank you. Uh, the end of revenue sharing and uh, competition and fee transparency, all that. So that doesn't really happen as much. So there's less abuse. Uh, I'm not a big fan of abusing uh, DCIO reps for you know people that are there to help you, especially TPAs with you know plan proposals and all that kind of stuff. Next on my list, don't blame others for your own mistake. There are two types of plan providers out there: those that admit mistakes and those will blame everyone else. Uh, I always say that most things aren't worth dying on a hill for. That's a big expression of mine. I am not going to die on this hill. Um, and you will see plan providers who would rather die on a hill than just admit that they did wrong. Um, years ago, um, I worked with a former client of mine. It was a former client of my TPA that I used to work for. And uh, they hired me to do the plan document, this, this, and that. And anyway, they were moving over to a new TPA it was discovered that the top-heavy test was done incorrectly. And why was it done incorrectly? Okay, it was a law firm with named law firm partners, you know, like not, you know, like Meyer Swaz and Klein, you know, those were guys who were, were partners. And I think uh, 
unfortunately they're all uh, they're all dead now. But anyway, um, uh, John Klein just passed away. He was a former uh, Suffolk County executive, and he was a, a partner of Mario Swazi. But anyway, there was a law firm out there still to this day. Good guys, Mets fans. They have Mets season tickets. Never bothered to ask them for a ticket. Just I don't like asking. But anyway, name law firm. One of the name partners had a daughter and a wife who worked there. And same last name. Didn't think to think about attribution uh, for purposes of the top heavy. Top heavy was done incorrectly. Um, needless to say, the old TPA, my former, my former employer, um, you know, tried to say that they were not responsible. It's a plan sponsor's problem. Um, they were just blaming everybody for the error. Uh, I'm just, you know, lucky that they didn't blame me. So, uh, then, then, so they blamed everybody. Then they said, well, if we did the test correctly, you'd still owe the money for the top heavy test. That's not the point. But anyway, um, they fixed the error. TPA kicked back some of the money uh, of the fee that they, uh, that they, you know, had charged, uh, for the top heavy test. Mistakes happen. They're a part of your life. But I think it's also a test of character. When you admit that you did wrong, um, many years ago, I, I, the first boss I had in this business was a guy by the name of Harvey Berman, uh, a good man. Um, there were some things he wasn't so great about, but he was a very, very good man. And he said, the reason there is an error in emissions policy is for errors. So when we had one of our processors on the daily plans really screw up and it was a big error, you know, his point was, you know, that's why we have an E&O policy to fix these errors rather than just, you know, try to make where the cockamamie excuses to, you know, you know, uh, just make excuses and blame everybody else. Don't die on that hill. Uh, accept the blame for your own mistakes. I think that that's uh, very, very important. It's important to do that. Um and it just, it's, 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 you know, it's like, uh, it's scruples. It, it's, that's, that's how I see it. Number one, uh, next on my list is don't speak badly of the competition. I don't speak ill will of other risk attorneys. I don't see them as competition. My biggest competition is with myself. Um, I would never speak badly about other risk attorneys because it makes me look unprofessional. And I would say that, you know, people say, well, you know, you attacking the old law firm you used to work at or the old TPA you used to work at, that makes you look unprofessional too. And, and they have a point. Uh, but that's part of the shtick, you know, making fun of, you know, that old law firm. And it's it just, I, I use that uh, not as a coping mechanism because I, I think I far succeeded uh, in my own practice. It's just, I always have to. Ha a lot of times, you know, we we always look at the drawbacks we have as human beings, and one of them is I like to rub. Uh, I love to rub my success in the face of people who didn't think I who didn't think I would be successful. But speaking badly of the competition, I, I just think it's cheesy. Uh, that's just my two cents. I'm not going to attack you know the other risk attorneys out there. Uh, a lot of things they do great, and there are a lot of things they don't do great. You know, there was—I'll never forget—there was that one arrest attorney who who's, who has passed on. Worked for a very well-renowned um, national law firm. Used to have his own Marissa practice, whatever, and merged with this larger, larger um, 
law firm. And he actually did split the advisory fee with a producing TPA and actually created a dummy corporation to collect the fees so his law firm partners wouldn't know about it. But, I, I you know, the guy passed on. I'm not going to name names. Um, just I like to spill the tea sometimes. But, you know, there's a reminds me of a funny, funny skit. Al Franken, former Senator Al Franken, was, of course, everybody knows, an SNL writer. At one point, he was considered, him and his partner Tom Davis were going to succeed uh, Lauren Michaels as the producer of Senate Live. And when Lauren left and Al Franken had made fun of the head of NBC, uh, he got passed over for the job. Uh, Gene Dumanian, um, who's more well-known these days as being a buddy of Woody Allen until they had a falling out. Gene Dumanian was a small-time producer on the show, and she was named the executive producer of SNL. And after 12 episodes, they fired her. And so on the next episode back with the new producer, Dick Eversole, they had Al Franken on the news. And Al Franken said, you know, I don't want to speak ill will of Gene because you may think less of me. So, it, you know, the reason I don't, you know, I, I want to attack um, other risk attorneys, first of all, it's, you know, it makes me look cheesy. Uh, it makes me look like two feet tall. And it's just not right. You know, I, I, I think I, I think they do great work. Uh, I think I do great work, too. Um you know, there's some clientele that will not see me because I'm a one-man shop. They'll go to a, a RISA firm that's got, you know, 10 attorneys, whatever. You get hit by a bus. You know, uh, what happens? You know, I, I understand that. But um, I think it's really cheesy just to go out there and, and just uh, really speak badly of the competition. Uh, you know, next on the list, don't cheat the clients. The hiding uh, fees are, are long gone. Uh, fee disclosure really put a stop to most of it. Um, make sure all fees are disclosed if you're a TPA, if you're an advisor. If you charge a termination cost as a TPA, which I still don't understand, but I understand that it's part of the business, um, I think you should have some sort of formula out there. This is how it is per hour. This is the estimated charges, something that would give transparency of the plan sponsor saying, oh, okay, if I fire them, if it's going to cost me 20 grand, uh, maybe I won't hire them. But, uh, you know, you, 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 you know, again, if you're a fiduciary, your advisor, like I use that situation, your advisor, you can't get paid more than you uh, contracted for, no matter if the TPA made a mistake or not. And don't be, don't have chutzpah and ask the 316 administrator to fork it over. The days, you know, I always say the days of wine, wine and roses are over. Uh, you know, the days where you can make a, a ton of money and do the smallest amount of work uh, are long gone. Uh, your reputation in this business means everything. So if you cheat clients because you, you want another $80,000 for uh, valuation, 5500 that you got paid for, you know, you, you can't do that. Um because you're going to be known as somebody who cheats the clients. And, and again, this business is so close-knit, they will know what you did. Your reputation means everything in this business. And cheating clients goes a long way. And again, you know, I know somebody who had a producing TPA, and, and, and there's still, still a stench over it, even if that TPA went out of business 15 years ago. Uh, last but not least, don't think you know it all. Uh, the beauty of the business is that I learn something new every day. Um, but you only learn something new if you're willing to learn. 
And there are plenty of providers that aren't willing to do that. And I think that one of the worst traits a plant provider can have is arrogance. Arrogance blinds. Um, we had a lot of plant providers making fun of uh, the, the call for fee disclosure, could deal with the future of fee disclosure, and either went out of business or sold their block of business. We know a lot of insurance companies over the last few years didn't like the fee disclosure model. They exited and sold off the retirement plan business, and we know who these guys are. Uh, anyone who knows anything about the retirement plans, about retirement plans, you know, you know, had their you know ear to the ground like in those westerns. They knew that you know we knew that fee disclosure was inevitable. Uh, I knew plan providers, the financial advisors, guys like James Holland, uh, you know, calling for fee disclosure years you know earlier. We were considered uh, you know enemy combatants by one of the trade organizations that's been since absorbed by ARA, um, you know, but we knew that it was inevitable. And uh, we, you know, these advisors like James Holland did very well for themselves, pushing out fee disclosure before fee disclosure was a thing. A lot of the TPAs out there that was advertising their fully disclosed their fees and whatnot, these were people who got it. And the people who didn't, a lot of them are not in business anymore. So I think it's important to realize you don't know it all. You know, years, you know, I, I left that law firm. I said, you yeah, know, they're going to die. Um, I left 12 years ago in April. Um, they're half the size of what they were when I left. Um, the Albany office is gone. Uh, the New York City office, I think they got two attorneys now when we had a thriving office of about, you know, 12 attorneys. You know it. You could see it. But, you know, they knew it all. When people told the managing attorney, you know, the average age of your partners is 65, um, that was a problem back then. It only got worse. So I think the important thing is you don't know it all. And if you think you know it all, you're in trouble. And the problem is, is that you're not, you're going to, you're not going to realize you are in trouble. So that's that. Uh, hope you enjoyed this extended version of F1K podcast. I had a lot of things on my mind. This is a really favorite topic of mine. Um, so hopefully you come back next week. I didn't scare you away by going, you know, close to 35 minutes. Go to that flowercasesite.com for further information on all our live events. And, uh, hope you, like I said, come back next week. Take care.